Hello, Redemption Hill family and friends out there. I am grateful that you're spending some of your time uh, with us right now as we aim to uh, look to the Word of God uh, and ask it to work in us. Our hope when, when we're preaching and putting out these sermons is that we may see more clearly the glory of God and the beauty of Jesus, and that those two realities would, would transform us and do a great work inside of us. Even in the moments that we're currently facing, that the beauty of Jesus would be great and that it would work inside of our lives. Uh, I think it may be helpful to say for some that maybe are unfamiliar with Redemption's Hill, uh, we normally preach exegetically, which is just a fancy way to say that we preach through books of the Bible uh, verse by verse. Uh, so we'll take one chunk one week, and where we end that week, we'll, we'll pick back up in that spot the next week. And what that really lets us do is we get to process the Bible in the way in which it was written and then as we go through books of the Bible in section slowly but surely, we actually get to see the beautiful way that a book unfolds and it gets to kind of land in our heart in an appropriate way to the way that it was, was written. Uh, so though that's how we normally do things, and honestly that is my favorite way to, to preach, we have been engaged in topical preaching for the last couple of weeks. Uh, that's what we've been leaning into. Uh, and the reason for that is, is pretty simple. Uh, we want to speak into the, the immediate circumstance that, that we are facing right now. And what we're wanting to do uh, is not just be topical for the sake of, uh, of being neat in the middle of a hard time, but we want to look to the Bible to see what it says about the specific things that we're going through right now. So that's why we've done these topical messages. I, I do want to be clear um, the Bible, the entire Bible, it is truth, and it is useful in building us up and training us in righteousness and helping us see the plan of God. So all of it is good. If we would have uh, the whole way continued in our series over Ephesians, I am confident that God would have used that to build up our our body. Uh, but even with that, for, for a little bit longer, we're still going to engage in a couple more topics and ask them to kind of help us out and, and grow our faith and see how the Bible speaks into uh, this current cultural moment. Uh, so last week we tackled how the gospel is still true in, in light of hard things. Uh, in the middle of COVID, in the middle of the coronavirus, it does nothing to, uh, to erode the truth of the gospel. Uh, we still are adopted. We still have a savior. Jesus is still great. God's plan of redemption still stands in the face of hard things. Uh, and then last week, we looked at how uh, really how can contentment uh, intersect uh, in our lives with hard things? Uh, how can we be content even outside of circumstances that may be difficult for us? And then this week, three weeks into this whole thing, what we're going to look at is what does Jesus specifically say to us about anxiety? And more specifically, what we want to look at is how do we balance trust, uh, anxiety, and, and planning uh, in the middle of hard circumstance, especially in light of what's going on around us. Before we jump into that, I think it's probably important to give two essential uh, caveats before we go into this and, and probably a promise as well. The first caveat that I would give is our definition of anxiety and Jesus's definition that we'll work off of in this sermon are probably or potentially not the same thing. 
when many people hear things like, oh, you're going to preach on anxiety, we can tend to get nervous, like, hey, what's he about to say? But, but give it a little bit of time, because I, I think that when you hear Jesus's definition and hear what he's saying through the text, it, it could be building and good. Uh, the second caveat is, is super important uh, to, to say and put out there as clearly as possible. There is an undeniable difference between clinical anxiety and regular anxiety in our lives. We, we have to say that. I realize that those things are different and I wouldn't for a second want to speak about anxiety in a way that ignores uh, clinical anxiety and makes someone who may be suffering with that feel uh, shame or, or weak or as if they just can't have enough faith to follow God through that. Uh, I wouldn't for a second want to say that. So this topic, this sermon is going to be directed at regular anxiety that comes to all of us in the midst of a broken world and in the midst of our lives. So I just need to say that up front. And the promise that, that I want to give to you is one that I've kind of wrestled with all week. Uh, I will do my very best not to oversimplify or downplay uh, the very real topic of anxiety. There are those who preach or teach a theology of kind of don't worry, be happy when it comes towards hard things and anxiety as if hardships and stress uh, and difficult things or even now COVID-19 uh, should be things that just roll off of us and don't affect us. Uh, but uh, that, that belief almost believes that we should be unmoved or emotionally disconnected from hard things uh, that, that come in front of us. But I assure you that that is not the way that Jesus talks about anxiety in the Gospels. And, and because of that, that's not the way that we're going to go about anxiety either. So we will do our best to uh, approach this topic in a way that is relevant to our lives and isn't kind of disconnected with Christianese, but also says, Jesus, would you speak? speak into this very real element in our lives. The text that we will read and look at today to speak about anxiety, or more specifically to let Jesus speak about anxiety to us, is red letter, which is just a fancy way of saying uh, these are the words of Jesus. Uh, we're going to, or, or we looked at the last couple of weeks, the words of Paul, and, and those are great, and those are still authoritative, but what we're going to do is we're going to go straight to the source, to the, to the very Son of God, and say, hey, would you speak into, or how have you spoken into anxiety through our lives? So we'll use Matthew chapter 6 to do that. Matthew chapter 6 uh, is a, a portion of scripture called the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, the Sermon on the Mount is exactly what it sounds like. It is a sermon uh, given on a mountain, uh, but this sermon is given by the best preacher uh, that, that we could ever hope to listen to. It is given by Jesus himself. So first book of the, the New Testament is Matthew. Uh, just a couple chapters in, we find the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is speaking. That's where we're at. The Sermon on the Mount, it, it is beautiful and it is unique while it still resides in the arena of, of real life for us. Meaning Jesus will directly aim at teaching believers how to live and walk in this world in relationship to God. Right, right? That has to make sense. Jesus is going to speak, hey, how do you in the nitty gritty of your everyday life, how do you there in this world and all the things that we're going to experience, how do you live in relationship to God in the actual things that you experience? 
Uh, this will be the focus over and over, especially in this chapter 6 uh, of Matthew. Jesus is going to say this, seek first the kingdom of God which is going to be him saying in the things that you face in life, in real life, and all the things that you go through, keep in mind that it is paramount that we seek the kingdom of God no matter what's going on, whether it's, it's crazy around us or it's mundane, seek first the kingdom of God. Keep that as a priority for you. So he's going to speak into things like in our anger, in our physical desires, which guys, we all have those, uh, in our marriages for some of us. Uh, in our wanting retaliation when someone sins against us, in our pursuit of money, in our love of worldly possessions, even in our prayer, Jesus is going to say through the Sermon on the Mount, don't lose sight of God's redeeming work in creation. Don't lose sight of who God is and what he is doing, no matter what is happening around you, good or bad. I think that focus is probably extremely, uh, extremely important to us right now uh, and applicable to us in our lives because when real life happens to us, especially hard things, what we can tend to do is we can begin to kind of hyper-focus on ourselves and thereby we kind of lose awareness of God and the gospel and Jesus and the kingdom of God. Jesus kind of makes some bold claims in this sermon on the mount, though. He says, when we lose sight of God, when we lose sight of the gospel and his redeeming work, it's not that we lose our salvation, but in that spot, it is going to be very, very difficult for us to find joy and peace and contentment uh, and happiness in Christ when we're focusing on a million other things. So hear this word throughout all this. In all things, especially hard things, seek the kingdom of God. Seek God. Seek what he has done. Now we'll start reading this text. Max, Matthew 6, verses 25 through 34 is the text. And it says this. Therefore, I tell you, again, this is Jesus speaking. Do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow, sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall I eat, or what shall I drink, or what shall I wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows what you need. Uh, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This is the word of the Lord, Jesus speaking specifically into our anxiety. The text opens up with a pretty bold word, Jesus 
just jumps right into it and he says this, do not be anxious about your life. He'll expound on that by saying, don't be anxious about things like food or what you drink or your clothing or your body. But we still can't escape from the very front side of the words of Jesus. He lays out an overarching command for all parts of our life. The Lord and Savior says to us all, don't be anxious. Which leads us into needing to clarify, okay, what do you mean? What are you asking from us when you say don't be anxious, which leads us back to caveat number one, our definition of anxiety and Jesus's definition of anxiety probably aren't the same. See, we tend to think of anxiety as experiencing any sense of worry or unease. Right? Maybe being a little nervous or a little bit bothered by something in life that is coming, just just a little bit ah, like a, a little bit uneasy, which to a certain level, that kind of seems like a universal human experience, right? That we all get nervous sometimes or, or maybe can feel a little bit uneasy, which may lead us to think, okay, well, is Jesus asking us to not be human here? To robotically never let anything uh, cause us an issue just no matter what? Should we not have any emotional response no matter what comes at us, good or bad, just robotically just not moved by anything? No, that's definitely not what Jesus is saying here in the text. And we even know that from, from looking at Jesus' life. Jesus, on the night before his crucifixion, keep in mind timeline, guys, we are, we're moving into to Holy Week. Next week, we're going to be celebrating uh, Easter. So, so not very long from now would be the day that marks the day before Jesus' crucifixion. On that night, Jesus was so burdened that he went away to pray and it says that he sweat blood. To think about the cross coming, when he thought about God's wrath being poured out, when he thought about being separated from the Father for a moment when the wrath for our sin was poured upon him, he was so uneasy that he actually sweat blood. He was feeling maybe what we would normally define as anxiety, so that can't be what Jesus is saying here in Matthew 6. Don't ever be uneasy. The actual word that Jesus uses here, it's translated uh, or that is translated into anxious, anxious in the text is a very interesting word. And it's actually used all over the New Testament. This word is used to indicate a posture or mindset that is divided, separated, or distracted. That, that's what he's speaking to, which Jesus more accurately is saying something like, do not be divided by worry over the things that will come at you in your life. Do not let the things that come at you, even the scary ones, distract you from what is true. Do not let them separate you from what is true. Do not let them uh, alienate you away from what is true. Martin Lloyd-Jones, a, a great preacher, says this, and I just find it helpful. What our Lord is warning us against, therefore, is the danger of thus being distracted from the main objective in life by care or anxiety for earthly things or worldly things. What he is saying is we cannot be distracted because we're looking so much at other things that we no longer look 
at God. This is the danger of a double life, of a false view, of dualism. This is what he's concerned about, that you get so wrapped in your worry that you cannot and will not see God anymore. This means Jesus is not saying that we should never experience feelings of worry. There is a big difference between experiencing and battling moments of worry and being a person who is overcome by, marinates in, and just sits in their worry constantly to the point that it distracts them from all other things. It becomes the overarching timeline in their life. This idea, it kind of lines up with the entire uh, point of the Sermon on the Mount, though. Over and over, Jesus is directing us to look at the focus of our lives carefully and make sure that no matter what's happening or what's coming at us, whether it's mundane or heavy or happy or scary, no matter what's coming in your life, seek first the kingdom of God. Do not be distracted or overtaken by the things of the world to the point that you can't see God through it and in it and alongside you in the middle of what's happening. This idea also lines up with the entire storyline of the Bible when we think about it. From the beginning, the Bible tells us that Satan has been trying to steal worship from God however he can. Right? This is his, his ploy. His focus, therefore, is to try and take our focus off of God. He'll do that, of course, sometimes by temptation, but sometimes by just letting us getting, get swallowed up into worry. He wants to get us so lost in our anxiety to the point that we can't focus or see God anymore because all we do is see the problem in front of us and become overtaken and become swallowed with it. Now, I'm not trying to make the case that worry is specifically satanic. Sometimes we're just in a broken world and hard things happen. But I am saying that Satan would love nothing more than for you to get lost in your worry. That is undoubtedly true from the Bible. He would love nothing more than to make you become divided and distracted to the point that you can't function. And I don't know about you, but that scenario is one that I've felt many times. Right? I've been swallowed by worry before, where I can't see anything else, and it becomes everything. And, and in those moments, Satan is happy because we can't see God, or redemption, or his kingdom, or beauty. What I appreciate here is that Jesus doesn't just lay down this command and walk away. He could have done that, but instead he follows it up with reason. So he says, do not be anxious. And he goes, here, let me, in the text, let me give you some reasons why not. Pragmatically even, let me give you some reasons that, that anxiousness and setting in it and not checking it is not good for you. The, the first reason that he brings up through the text is this. Anxiety robs your life by reducing it. He says it in verse 25. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Jesus is pointing out our human tendency in unbridled anxiety. When we are overcome with anxiety, especially about provisions, it will shrink our lives down into less than it's supposed to. Uh, the way that's helpful to think about this for me is, is uh, imagine concentric circles. You've got one and another and another and another. When we focus on a worry or an anxiety for too long, it begins to shrink our perspective to where what we can see is very, very small. And our worry or our problem becomes all that we can see. It becomes all that we can think of. It becomes everything. 
in this process of, of reductionism, we can't see straight because our perspective gets all messed up and life gets reduced to things that it should not be, just like food or body or clothing or whatever the thing in front of us is. When we get swallowed up by our worry in this way, which is always a temptation, everything ends up hanging in the balance of the current worry. I think we can feel that. Like when we have a, a big worry in front of us, you're like, you don't understand. This is such a big deal. That current worry becomes everything and we can become accidentally almost fatalistic because that worry overshadows all things. This is why often when we are super worried, we will lash out at the people close to us. And we'll say things like, you just don't understand because we are so eclipsed by this worry that it's all that we can see. And we're frustrated that other people will not take it as seriously as we are, all because our anxiety is overwhelming. So Jesus just says practically, be careful because your worry will reduce life into something so small that, that, that it will hurt you if you're not careful. The second thing that Jesus says pragmatically is unchecked anxiety believes that God doesn't value you. Jesus uses what is called the lesser to greater argument. That's one of his favorite things to do. He says the birds, they, they don't sow and reap. They, like You don't see them tilling the land and, and putting stuff in, and, and they don't build barns to, to, to put other food in for themselves, meaning they don't have some perfect plan for all situations, and despite that, God still sees to it that they have food. If God sees to it that birds get food, don't you think that he also wants you to be taken care of? This is what Jesus is saying. Because you are much more valuable than the birds. Simply put, humanity, humans are made in the imago Dei, the image of God. No animal has that. No bird has that. Which means the birds of the air are not as valuable to God as, as we are. This idea may offend Peter, but it is what Jesus says. We are in the Imago Dei, the image of God, which means there is a high, high value proposition placed over us and God will care about us. And Jesus is reminding us that God is the creator and sustainer of life. And as the crown of his creation, God has a special level of concern for us. Does that mean he'll never let anything bad happen to us? No, but he cares for us and loves us a lot. We need to understand when we sit in worry for too long, it begins to believe that God doesn't actually value or care for us or care what happens to us. He values his human beings very much. And he wants us to trust him even when we don't understand what's going on. This brings up one of the very big misconceptions about trusting God with our worry. There are uh, three broad stroke types of people that will come across in life. And I understand that this is very broad stroke and this is, this is not going to cover everyone, but, but it'll help us maybe wrap our mind around the idea. Uh, the first type of person is a person who does not seem bothered by much of anything. Uh, and that person doesn't really plan uh, they don't really think ahead. They, they don't work towards much because nothing really bothers them. Uh, that person kind of thinks, well, hey, you know what? God just has it. Uh, and they normally are, are woefully underplanned at all times. And this type of person masks their laziness or unwillingness to plan as trust of God. Right? They, they kind of wear their laziness as a badge. Well, I just trust God. And they, they don't ever plan at all. And then you have the second type of person who is the polar opposite. 
Uh, this type of person is bothered by, by all the things, right? And this type of person plans literally everything and feels awful without a plan, feels scared without a plan. They probably have uh, uh, three plans for, for everything. This plan, or this person really never thinks God has it. And this person is woefully overplanned all the time. And this person masks their lack of trust in God as responsibility, uh, as common sense, as, as wisdom. They'll never actually trust God, but they'll, they'll always talk about, well, I'm just responsible and, and woefully untrusting, right? So the first person is woefully uh, under or unplanned. Uh, the second person is woefully uh, not trusting in God. And the third person is this hodgepodge mix of both of those. Uh, this person is bothered by, by some things, um, but also plans many things. Uh, when this person gets worried, he tries to make a plan over what he can control, right? So they feel worry and they engage with that worry by making a plan. Then they disengage from it and they try and trust God. And they begin to pray and ask God to, to help them. This person isn't trying to mask laziness or unbelief. They're trying to wrestle with the best of their ability on balancing trust and planning, uh, and work, and belief that God values and loves and cares what happens to them. Often, when we hear things like, don't be anxious about your life, and then we hear the example of the birds uh, not sowing or reaping, we begin to ask the question, is Jesus advocating this first type of person who never plans and, and never really uh, works? Is Jesus saying we literally don't have to strain or work or plan or do anything? Is he just saying kind of let go and let God and God will take care of all things in your life? And the answer is no. No, that's not what he's saying at all. Birds still have to fly. Right? They, they, they still have to make a nest. They still have to go out and, and, and gather for themselves. Right? Baby birds get food dropped in their mouth. Uh, other birds don't do that. So this example doesn't say, hey, just sit there, do nothing, don't plan, don't ever work, and everything will all work out. Jesus isn't saying that. And the Bible teaches us that clearly. The Bible says in multiple places that laziness is a sin and indicates, hey, if you never want to work, then you probably don't want to eat either. God loves and values his children very much, but he's telling us in here, we should balance planning and trusting well, right? This is the smart play. When worry comes, engage with it by planning, then disengage with it by trusting, Right? Don't stay in this chronic act of, of some of us will engage with our worry uh, continually where we'll, we'll worry and plan and worry and plan and worry and plan and never actually will we move into trust. And, and this is a process that Jesus isn't really advocating here. We need to learn to balance those things. The third pragmatic thing that Jesus will teach us is unchecked anxiety is literally worthless. Verse 27, and which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? Meaning, in unchecked worry, you aren't helping yourself out. You're not fixing the problem. Worry may entertain a problem, but doesn't actually make headway at, at solving a problem. Jesus points this out to help us to understand that sometimes we need to disengage from our worry and we need to let go. 
Again, he isn't saying just smile and pretend that nothing is bad ever, but he does want us to know that there are times that we choose to actively uh, stay in a problem and a romance a problem for far too long. And when we do that, we often aren't praying or, or trusting or resting in, in God, and we're also not solving the problem. So Jesus is just saying, hey, practically, you sitting in that anxiety for a really long time is just not helpful. It doesn't add to your life. It actually long-term will steal from your life because it'll shorten it. It's clear medically that unchecked anxiety, not clinical, regular anxiety will hurt your body. This is why I've heard people say that worry is a cruel, cruel master because it forces you to face a problem twice. When you worry, you're facing a problem before you ever actually get to a place that you can, you, you can kind of uh, work on it. And then you have to face it again all over again later. You have to face it at least two different times when there's enough worry to just face things that are hard once you actually get to them. Now, I want to make sure that we covered these reasons that Jesus gives us not to be anxious uh, but much of, of my actual worry this week is that this uh, message would be an oversimplification of the topic or it would become this kind of self-help talk devoid of truth and, and power and that we would loosely mention Jesus but not actually talk about Jesus or the gospel or how it's powerful in our life. So I want to kind of pivot and speak into that for the rest of our time. Verse 33, and Jesus says this, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Jesus did indeed give us several reasons why our unchecked anxiety wasn't good for us. Then he restates his command clearly to us in verse 31 saying again, therefore do not be anxious. But he also adds something important after that. He gives us a tool to utilize or a weapon to deploy against anxiety. And that is seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness. We may hear that and, and feel like, man, that, that just seems unsatisfying or, or unhelpful. Like what exactly does seeking the kingdom of God do for my job situation in the middle of Corona? Or, or what exactly does the kingdom of God do to help me about my fear of getting sick or that my family will get sick? Or how exactly does seeking the kingdom of God pay my rent because I got laid off? So, so how does that work? But I think Jesus would kind of present the inverse of the question back. When we ask, hey, how does seeking the kingdom of God actually help me in what I'm going through presently? I, I think he would ask this, well... How does anxiety help your job situation either? Or, or how does anxiety immunize you against getting sick? Or how does the anxiety that you want to sit in, how does that put money in your pocket to pay your, your bills? And both of you would have valid points there. But we need to realize where much of our anxiety comes from in life. A lot of our anxiety comes from a fear that, that is, that is uh, really about our health, or our provision, getting the things that we need, or a fear about uh, entertainment or, or joy and being fulfilled in life. See, unchecked anxiety cries out, my deepest needs are not being met right now. 
It just sits in it and it cries it out and it yells it out. God, you're ignoring what I need. You don't care. This is what I actually need. This is what is important and you just don't care. This is exactly why Jesus encourages us in the middle of our worry to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. When we do, we begin to see clearly our vision expands again. We begin to see clearly God has not ignored us, even though things are really hard. When we seek out what God has done and is doing in his redemption, we begin to remember all the beauty of what he has done. God has not been absent in our problems. He, he is present and he's actually promised to never leave us. When we begin to seek God's kingdom in the very middle of our worry, we will begin to remember that God cares for us and he has done so much for us. Even in the pain that we're in, we'll begin to see as we look to the kingdom of God that God has been faithful. He's met our greatest need, even though this thing in front of us is really hard and we feel like we need it. And when we begin to seek this out, we can begin to kind of speak truth over our lives. And this is where a really massive growth happens in the life of a believer. Because what we can do in the middle of our worries, begin to say, okay, God, what have you done for me already? What have you done? Okay, you saw me in my sin. Before I was even born, you knew what I would do and, and, and how I would fall short and how I would sin against you. And even then, you sent Jesus to come down, your very son, to come down to earth and to live the sinless life that I failed to. That is what is true. And though I didn't deserve it, Christ paid for my sins, all of them, past, present, and future. He paid for my sins on the cross. And though I didn't deserve it, Christ made a way for me to be forgiven. And though I didn't earn it, now I have the gift of faith. And though I didn't earn it, I have an eternal hope. And, and my shame is erased by, by the righteousness of Jesus. It can never be taken away from me despite the current worry that I'm facing. And though I don't deserve it, you are with me every single day. And you've promised to never leave me or forsake me. And you've promised to walk with me through the middle of hard things. And though I don't deserve it, you have promised to one day end all suffering. To, to, to end it. And though things are rough right now, one day it won't be. Jesus will return, put back together this broken creation, wipe away every tear and be with us forever. And though I don't deserve it, in the middle of my current mess, I am still loved. I am still adopted. I am still cherished. I am still sang over. I am yours, God, and you are mine. Even in the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me and will never leave me. What did Jesus just give us when we do that? He gives us the tool of worship to fight our anxiety with. Even in the middle of the mess, seek out the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And surely as you do, you will see and remember that he is good through your worship. Your worship can cause you, even in the middle of the unknown, to see the beauty of Jesus and what he has done and is doing and how he is ever present and near, even in the middle. It's a seek first the kingdom of God and all this will be added to you. And there's a powerful promise there too because in the middle of worry or anxiety, generally we can feel out of control. I, I can't control any of this. I can't fix any of this. Jesus gives us this message. Hey, there, there is something you can control. 
In the middle of your anxiety, when things are just kind of off the rails, we can control our worship. And when we seek out God and seek out his work and seek out his kingdom, he will meet us there every single time. This is his promise. You can't control all the problems, but you can worship and control that he will draw near to you. As you draw near to him in your worry, you will see his righteousness and the beauty of Jesus and the grace of God and the mercy of God and the love of God. This is his promise. You can't control all of that stuff, but when you worship, you can control how close you feel to God in the middle of really, really hard things. A functional question that rolled around in my mind that really led to preaching this text today is this. When is the right time to address and work on trusting God? When's the right time? Is it when things are easy? All things are under control? Things are fine? Or is it when the the waves are high and things seem crazy? I think faith grows and our trust in God grow when we begin to ask him to help us trust him in the middle of the hard things that we're in. And that most certainly applies to what we're going through now. So often we can tend to, in the middle of our hardship, go, hey, I'll work on trusting God and believing the gospel and thinking of that when I'm outside of this. But the the reality is in the very middle of the hardship is where we need to remember the gospel and ask God to help us trust him. Jesus by no means expects us to not be affected by our current situation. That is not a burden that he would lay on you, and that's not a burden I'm trying to lay on you. But he does lovingly offer himself in the middle of our current situation. Whatever you're worried about now, his promise to you is I'll be there with you. There are a million things that you could be anxious over. There are a million unanswered questions right now, and hear the promise of Jesus to you right now in the middle of all the unanswered questions. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30. Hear me just as clearly as I can. This is Jesus speaking to you in the middle of your worry. He says in the middle, not when it's over, in the middle, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. This is Jesus's words. This is a promise. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What is Jesus saying in our language? Friends, he's saying, hey, are you tired? Are the million unanswered questions weighing on you? Is your heart and your, and your mind heavy? Do you need some relief? And Jesus says, if that is you, then come to me and I will give you rest. Mind you, he's not saying come to me and I'll, I'll fix all your problems. He's saying that heavy heart, that burdened soul, that weighted mind, come to me and, and let me take some of that weight for you. When he says, take my yoke upon you, he's saying something profound. He's saying, my ways aren't hard. When you come draw near to me, I'll actually take weight off of you. I am stronger than you. Let me bear some of the burden, some of the weight. Let me take some of that off of you. Let, you, let me help you find rest for your thirsty soul right now. That's exactly why in the middle of, of worry, in the middle of hardship, we should take that promise and go, oh, that, that is, that's what I need. 
Jesus, or friends, Jesus is saying to you, stop trying to carry it all on your own. Stop letting your problem be all things. Come to him and see if he won't be faithful to meet you in the chaos. See, even when the world is crazy, that you can find rest in Christ. That's my great hope for everyone listening here that we wouldn't minimize anxiety or worry, but that we would understand we have a beautiful ability to even in the middle of the storm draw near to Jesus and he promises us to meet us there. It's not an if or a maybe. All who are weary and heavy laden, come to me. Come to me. And then it becomes, do we trust him enough to try that? For some of you, that might mean today your, your step of coming to Jesus is is actually a first step of faith. You need to come to him and say, I need you for my sin. I've never trusted in, in you and I need you. I'm a sinner like everyone else and I need you to deal with that problem of my sin. Will you be my savior? Will you save me? Will you redeem me? Some of you may need that for your very first step to say, I need salvation. God, save me. And others that means that today you need to share your worries with Jesus. Instead of going, oh, I'll deal with you later, Jesus, I've got to deal with my worry. Run to him in the middle of it. Begin to tell him what he already knows, the things that are bugging you. Ask him for help. Tell him the words back to Matthew 11. I am heavy laden. I am burdened. I need rest. And that's why I'm coming to you, Jesus. Please help me. I need help trusting you in the middle of these hard times. And as you do that, I pray that you would see that he is faithful and good to meet you where you're at. As we finish up today, I'll remind you that there is a worship guide attached to this video. We have some prayers in it and some songs with the lyrics there. The hope is that you would, you would click on those and spend some time just worshiping and singing out to God. In a time where our problems can get big, will you make them small by singing out to your God? And maybe in some of those songs, you use that to just begin to, to quietly pray as well. Say, God, I need you. I need to learn to trust you. I need to learn to draw near to you. I need to find rest in you. Help me. My anxiety, my, my worry has gotten out of control. Will you help me with that? And I believe that he'll be faithful to meet you and to draw near to you as you do. I pray that you don't just turn the video off, but that you begin to, after this, find that worship guide, dive into worship, and dive into a time of prayer and see that he is faithful and good. Friends, the hope is that this message wouldn't deal with anxiety in, in a shallow or, or, or hollow way. We have a real ability to run to a real Savior, even in a really big mess. That's his word to us. That's his promise. I pray that we would stand on that today. Oh, that we would be a, begin to stand and rest in Jesus and understand, church, in, in just a week, we're going to celebrate Easter. The grave is empty and our Savior is alive and we have great hope even in the face of hard, hard circumstance. Let's pray. God, I thank you for our ability to see your word, to draw near to it. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would help all who have heard and even my own heart dealing with this text that, that we would be able to, uh, that we would desire, that we would try to walk closer, to, to come close to Jesus with our burdens in the middle of chaos instead of trying to, to handle them ourselves. 
Father, we repent of the times that we have tried to, to be you, to be God by handling all things as if we are sovereign. May we trust you in the middle of hardship. God, help us with that. Father, I pray if anyone is burdened with, with, with a, a clinical form of anxiety, that they would not feel unneeded weight by this sermon, that they would not feel shame by this sermon, that they would try to engage with you in the things that they can and trust you even in the middle of the suffering of what they can. But God, let us see the promise of Jesus clearly. And Jesus, I pray that you would just profoundly draw near to all who begin to draw near to you in their time of pain. God, be glorified. God, be great. God, I pray that you be so near to your church even when we can't gather in a building like we normally do. Build up our faith in the middle of this. God, be glorified. Jesus, be big. Jesus, change us. We pray that in your name. Amen. Friends, I pray that you'll engage with your worry this week, with Jesus and not alone and that you would find that he is more than enough and that his help is so good and that he is strong and powerful for you. I pray that we'll be able to see each other face to face again before long, but until then, I love you, go. God is merciful and he is good and he is kind. I pray that you would remember that. We'll see you later.